0: Turn on your microphones, everyone. You. Good morning, today is Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. This is a regular meeting of the Building Inspection Commission. I would like to remind everyone to please mute yourself if you're not speaking. The first item on the agenda is roll call. Interim President, Alexander Toot. Present. Commissioner Newman. Present. Commissioner Shadix. Present. Commissioner Summer. Present. Um, Commissioner Williams. Present. Okay, Commissioner Chavez is excused and we have a quorum. Um, next, I did not ask anyone, could someone read the land acknowledgement for us, please? sorry, no one. it is actually on uh, on page four of the of the agenda.
1: acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatusha who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As a, indigenous stewards of the land, in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatusha have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten responsibility as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in the, their traditional territories. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working in their traditional homelands. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First People.
0: Thank you. Next, for any members of the public um, who are listening in, our um, public comment call in number is 415 655 0001 access code is 2663-710-1172 and to raise your hand for public comment on a specific item press star 3 when prompted by the meeting moderator and also the webex webinar password is 1018 and next we have item 2 president's opening remarks
2: good morning members of the commission uh, Director Reardon and uh, and staff and members of the public. Uh, today my remarks will be very short, but I want to applaud the department on the continued focus on uh, to lead San Francisco's economic recovery. Um, the work that our staff is doing to make the pop-ups and the vacant buildings a success is really exciting and inspirational, and bringing some fun to um, to places that you know otherwise would be. Just kind of sitting there so thank you for that Um, we are i want to recognize the extra work that's gone into helping plan for apec um, and keeping our city safe and the heads of state from throughout from you know all over the world that would be coming Uh, i know that's an extra lift on top of all the other great work we're doing um, and you know the city and uh, is really relying on the good work of this department so thank you Uh, it's probably the least uh, the least visible of all the good work that's being done to repair for APEC, but some of the most important safety work. So thank you. Um, today is mostly going to be a legislative session uh, talking about, um, you know, things that things, items that are coming before the Board of Supervisors for our recommendation. And some of the more meatier discussions will happen in um, either December or November. But I also want to applaud the department on the very measured response to the sleeping pods issue. I it is the it is both you know my set of values and reflected the department's actions that we balance the need for housing with safety always and uh, looking for solutions to provide safe housing um, without adding to the the housing crisis Um, so I I want to applaud the department for that so that concludes my remarks for today thank you
0: thank you is there any public comment on the president's opening remarks um, seeing none, have item three general public comment. The BIC will take public comment on matters within the Commission's jurisdiction that are not part of this agenda.
3: I have a, could you turn the projector on, please?
0: Um, it, it, it is.
3: It's, you have something showing already. Yeah, I do, thank you. Uh-huh. I'm ready, thank you. Okay, Can you begin. Good morning, my name is Jerry Durantler. DBI receives 11,000 complaints a year, which are closed in an average of 40 days. 20% of the complaints are never closed. The source of the complaint data is the October 9, 2023 SF standard article, which you should have a copy of, and the data from the DBI report in agenda item 4E. Chief Building Inspector Mack Green should report on the number of the average, excuse me, on the average number of days required to close a DBI complaint, not the number of days to respond to the complaint. What was interesting is 50% of these 11,000 complaints are housing complaints. That was a real surprise to me. And I applaud the BIC for the important work they did to ensure there was $5 million of funding to ensure there was SRO code compliance. The next slide shows um, a proposed report, which Uh, Mr. Green should report monthly to DBI, and you could see this would be both for building inspection and housing complaints, and you can see the um, report stratifies the complaints by the number of days required to close them, month and year to date. I think that's really important data. Um, I, I don't think it's reasonable that it would take 40 days to close a complaint and 20% of them never get closed. The next slide is sort of puts this in context. Why are the 6 21 excuse me 2021 controller recommendations to the BIC and DBI not fully implemented after 2 years? I'm going to speak to two specific recommendations, number 2 and number 3. Number 2 deals with using the PTS system to generate exception reports, just like the example I gave you. So how many exception reports have been created in the last two years? Recommendation three deals with establishing proper internal controls over altering data in the DBI PTS system. DBI has been opposing this recommendation for two years. I can't, think of a single business case that supports opposing, controlling who can change data in PTS. Can you, thank you.
0: Um, Is is there any more public comment in person? I'm seeing that there's, there's a public comment virtually. Oh, there's one more person.
4: Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry.
5: Hello. I am Fred Sherburnsmer from Housing Rights Committee of San Francisco. We are one of the funding funded organizations. Um, First, I wanted to say I couldn't find what room this meeting was online. Um, These meetings have a tendency to be posted a little last minute, the last few times it's been here. Um, But... um, um, I wanted to talk about the funding for the SIOP program, that at the last meeting I heard staff say a whole bunch of things that, well, no, say a couple of things that didn't seem to be correct. And one of them that was that the city, the, out of the general fund budget, they were funding SIOP and talking to the supervisors during that process. And since then, they have no interest in funding CUP programs. They did it only as a one-time emergency thing because this body didn't get it together to raise fees early enough. And it was the only way to save these necessary programs. The CUP programs, like Housing Rights Committee, do important part of the work of this department. We work hand in hand with the inspectors. You have some amazing inspectors, but we also have a level of trust in the community, a level of, language, capacity, a level of cultural competency. Tenants call us for our other departments and tell us about really horrible repairs. We move forward, as you can see with the lawsuit that CCDC is doing with the city attorney right now about SROs and Chinatown. These are really important programs. And so what I wanted to mention was that it's ultimately There are tenants whose ceilings are gonna collapse on them that aren't gonna have bathrooms or kitchens if these programs don't get funded. These are, our calls haven't gone down. I know this department has said um, new construction in some situations, fees from that has gone down slightly, which means you need less inspectors to inspect those buildings. But I would say that existing residential construction, which is all of us, and your own inspectors, calls are way up after the pandemic. Situations are really dire. And I want you, when you all look at the fee study, to look at the landlord fees, because they haven't been raised since 2005. I know tenants who, I was paying $600 a month in rent last time those fees were raised. Um, I know people who have, their rent has gone, landlords have, have, Doubled what they brought in in rents, if not tripled during that period, and your fees to cover the services that are needed need to go up during
0: that go up accordingly. Thank you all. Thank you. Um, Next public comment. Um, Once you place the item there, it should show. Do you have it?
4: my name is Chris Schroeder. I've been a building inspector at, uh, uh, with the uh, City County of San Francisco almost a quarter century. Um, I'm here to uh, speak uh, um, in regard to um, Bernie Kern. Uh, in his deposition, Director O'Reardon referenced uh, Bernie Kern uh, that he uh, noticed that he was going out of his district. He mentioned this several times. I think it was approximately four or five years, and I think he said he had four or five years of conversations with him. I don't know why uh, it took that many years when it could have been stopped way earlier, and uh, he could have merely transferred Koran out of the field. We also have uh, tracking on the uh, GPS on all the city cars. He could have geo-fenced them in. Why didn't he do that? A lot of inspectors take their personal cars uh, um, out in the field. So they're not to be tracked. Um, and uh, yeah, so basically uh, I'm going to read my presentation here. Let me make sure this gets Can you correct the uh, overhead here so I can get the whole thing, please?
0: I'm not able to do that. You can go okay. ahead and speak to it.
4: Um, There have been three suicides out of approximately 30 field building inspectors in less than uh, five years, with two inspectors being successful on their second attempt. The first cut off his hand with a power saw. The other two jumped off the 400-foot 280 bridge. About a -a six-and-a-half-second fall, I did the math. Each of them uh, complained to me how they were treated by management at DBI and the things they were asked to sign off by management on non-code-complying unsafe projects. I wrote three emails to Director O'Riordan complaining about retaliation and suicides not being fully investigated by the department and complained to HR, also about disability uh, discrimination. O'Riordan never responded to my emails. The last person called me just hours before to say goodbye and said to me, you never did anything wrong. They never forced you to sign off anything illegal. Uh, uh, Fortunately, I'm told the FBI has recovered uh, phones and notes. A director wrote multiple violations on uh, improperly in which the district inspector should be the one writing the notices of violation. The policy he helped create on two of the projects were with two former big commissioner presidents, one being the owner, the other the engineer, Rodrigo Santos, working together. The first was a building that went down the hill where current deputy director Matt Green went out of his district for four separate inspections and approved the work that was not per uh, the approved plans, missing critical structural elements, as Santos did. Uh, Chief Dan Lowry asked me to lie, and uh, they both agreed to tell the city investigators they tried to call me out in the field four separate times.
0: You can conclude your comments.
4: Yes, I will. Um, And the other was 3418 26th Street, where O'Riordan with, uh, again, the same characters, Matt Green, uh, uh, the two big presidents, and uh, um, uh, O'Riordan were involved. Orrin accepted a letter in lieu of any Sorry, uh, sir, inspections. That
0: concludes your public comment uh,
4: from Rodrigo Santos. Okay. And I, lastly, I would like a six and a half uh, seconds of silence for the two that jumped off the bridge.
6: Thank you. Um, Thank you. It's the next
7: person. Um, there's someone else? Hi, my name is Sonica Mahajan. I'm with Dolores Street Community Services, which houses the Mission SRO Collaborative, one of our SRO and code enforcement programs across the city. Um, as Fred said, we've been doing this collective work for a few decades now. and It's only with our help and language and cultural competency that DBI is able to handle the nearly 20,000 calls it gets about habitability issues and code violations. With the Mission SRO Collaborative specifically, we serve primarily Spanish speaking tenants of SROs across the mission um, of which there are over 60 hotels in order to be their first point of connection to the help that they need to get code violations addressed. And there are there are significant code violations and habitability issues in SRO buildings across the mission. Um, we are also the source that basically the only source of Spanish language fire prevention um, that they may get in SRO buildings. So we're not only the ones that are dealing with the code violations and habitability issues, but we're also trying to prevent uh, fire and other safety issues by giving language Um, accessible and culturally competent prevention programming. So with that all being said, it's extremely important to continue funding our programs. And as Fred mentioned, it is important that that funding comes from this department where we work directly with the inspectors to be making sure that these violations are addressed. Um, Just a a few months ago, a fire in the Grandfather Hotel affected a family with multiple young children under the age of 13. And our organizers at Rock were the ones to do everything necessary for that family as well, whether it's coordinating with Red Cross, finding them replacements of the essential items they lost, and communicating all of their rights and options to them. So it's really important that we get money from this department, and, and there are so many ways that that could happen, including raising landlord fees, which haven't been raised since 2005. And I think we all know how much rent has been raised since 2005. So there's no reason why landlord fees should not be proportionally raised as well. Um, just the idea that the general fund will continue funding this, unfortunately, is just untrue. Um, the general fund is a one-year solution to continue funding our programs, and our funding isn't even up to the full amount that it was at in previous years, that 5.2 million. And so, I would like to urge you all to consider Looking at that fee study um, from the lens of deciding how you can continue to fund these programs from DVI, and not relying on the general fund to come through um, for the this year, I think these programs really need to ensure that we we are able to plan for being funded year after year, and not just this this current fiscal year.
0: Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Is there any further public comment? Okay. Okay. And that concludes our general public comment. Next, we have item four, director's report for a director's update.
8: Thank you, interim president Alexander Toot and members of the Building Inspection Commission. Uh, I'm Patrick O'Reardon, the director of Department of Building Inspection. That better. Yes. So uh, I want to start by thanking Interim President Alexander Toot for joining us uh, and and for you commissioners who joined remotely at our annual All Hands meeting uh, earlier this month. The All Hands is a chance for us to outline the key initiatives we are working on as an organization and to share the progress we're making towards our goals. It's also a great opportunity to welcome new staff and recognize their service milestones Uh, that they have achieved, uh, especially by our longer tenured employees. Uh, I want to thank our executive team and our administrative uh, teams for helping make the event successful and we hope to see you all again next year. Uh, I also want to highlight uh, that last week DBI teamed up with the City Attorney's Office to file a lawsuit against a property ownership group that has not properly maintained three single occupancy hotels in Chinatown. The conditions in in these SROs are not good and the half measures that these landlords have been taking are entirely insufficient. This is not a step we're taking lightly and comes after our housing inspection division spent several years communicating with the owners, issuing violations and working to bring them into compliance. We're deeply appreciative of the city attorney, David Chu, and our partners at the Chinatown Community Development Corporation for working with us to make sure that the tenants of these buildings have a safe, clean, and code-compliant home. Last week, I participated in, in a press conference announcing the lawsuit, and I hope the resulting media coverage sends a strong message to other landlords that are failing to meet their obligations to their tenants. Frankly, we will not stand for it and are committed to making sure that tenants' rights are protected in the city. And to today's agenda, we have some important updates to share with you. You may have heard that some property owners are having a hard time meeting the deadlines to upgrade their properties as required by the Accessible Business Entrance Program. Fortunately there's new legislation at the Board of Supervisors to extend the compliance deadlines and uh, give these business owners a little little bit more time. You'll be hearing a presentation regarding that legislation. You'll consider two other pieces of legislation, including a technical code cleanup and a piece of legislation to clarify approval process for... I'm sorry, we're getting an earthquake alert here, believe it or not. You'll consider two other pieces of uh, legislation, including a technical code cleanup and a piece of legislation to clarify the approval process for accessory dwelling units, commonly known as ADUs. Last, we'll receive a presentation about our strategic uh, planning process getting way uh, uh, on on this month. We'll be asking for your input and guidance to help set our course for the coming years. Thank you, and that concludes my director's report.
1: should we stop i th- <laughs> think it
8: may be uh, a test hopefully it doesn't look, uh, like,
1: does it look like a test no, there's like a real alert yeah the interagency call today okay
8: okay so i think we're
1: okay <laughs> okay great we're all okay we can we can we can relax
8: <laughs> okay I guess we can move on to uh, uh, the major projects, Sonia. I have to say it's kind of ironic that that would happen like during my, my presentation as a building official, but I guess that's the, that's the way the cookie crumbles.
0: Okay. Hey, thank you, and just, just one moment having a little technical difficulty. Um, Next week, we will um, address item B, update on major projects in just a moment. Okay, Director, can go ahead. And it looks like it's up on here. Can SFGov, can we share that uh, presentation?
8: Okay. Um, Good morning, commissioners. The following slides are intended to highlight the volume and valuation of projects costing $5 million or more that have been filed, issued, or completed in the past month. We will provide a profile of a few projects that bring especially high value in terms of their contribution to housing and community assets. So in September 2023, three permit applications with an estimated construction value of $5 million were filed with DBI. One was for a new 95-unit affordable uh, senior housing community at 967 Mission Street, uh, which was valued at 61 million. Another was for the conversion of an office building at 988 Market Street into 45 residential units. Uh, That was valued at $9 million. Uh, Last month, we issued one high-value permit with a total valuation of $53 million. This permit was for a 146-unit affordable housing building at 1633 Valencia Street. And lastly, DBI finaled three high value permits. One was for the renovation of an SRO building at 55 Mason Street. Uh, The valuation on that project was $12 million. Uh, Another was for the rehabilitation of 10 public housing units at 2206 uh, Great Highway, which was valued at $5 million. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Um, Next, we have item C, update on DBI's finances.
9: Good morning, commissioners. Alex Koskinen, deputy director administration. I have this month's regular finance update. Um, no more news on the fee study and some items for discussion regarding the CBO grants. So we're about 25% of the way through the year. Our major source of revenue, our charge for services, is 23% recovered. So. We're close. Um, The first two months of the year did not include our fee increase. It was, the 15% across the board increase became effective September 28th. So we expect it to be a bit behind and we're hoping to catch up throughout the rest of the year. So this is on track and we will continue to monitor. Next slide. Here are the revenue details, so the most important one is that first line, the chart for services. You can see how much we have received so far last year, and then it's still too soon to project revenues through the end of the year. That will happen around six months. Next slide. For expenditures, we are, um, the month happened to line up almost exactly with the pay period. So we are 25% of the way through the year and uh, 25% of the pay periods have been paid out. So we are fully staffed. We are spending all of our labor budget that is our by far our largest expense. Um, Again, the second largest is work orders, services of other departments. It's very hard to project those. How much will we spend on city attorney's office services this year? We don't know. How much workers comp, how many injuries will we be paying out? It's hard to say. So um, hopefully we will see some savings there again, but we really won't know until almost the very end of the year. Next slide. Permits, this is similar to last month. So we are continuing to see a higher number of overall permits compared to the same time last year. However, the valuation is less. So next slide, please. And again, the largest projects really can swing the valuation. So one big project comes in and uh, the story totally changes. But the increase in lower valuation permits is is notable and has remained constant throughout the first few months of this year so we will continue to monitor Uh, next slide please so that's it for the regular finance presentation the we are working with the consultant on the fee study we've sent them all their data they're collating they're preparing their draft report and They will submit that in November, so likely we will discuss in the December meeting. It won't be ready for the November meeting, but if it is, if they're done earlier than expected, we will discuss next month. And finally, um, I wanted to discuss the CBO grants. There is, uh, an email was sent out by the Mayor's Budget Office, the Mayor's Budget Director, explaining that the city's financial position the city is facing a very difficult financial position, and they have asked all general fund departments to propose 3% expenditure reductions for this fiscal year, and the mayor's office will take in all of those recommendations in November, see where they are, and see which ones they want to implement. The only general fund support for DBI is the CBO grant? So the mayor's office has told us, our three percent reduction is $160,000. If they were to, if that were to be implemented, there would be two ways to do it. It would be reducing proportionally from each organization, or reducing all from one. Uh, proportional seems like it would be better. If this were to happen, that would range from a Five to thirty thousand reduction from the various uh, service providers. So I think that's important to for everyone to be aware of. One other comment I'd like to address from public comment, I think two public comments is the one-time nature of the funding. Um, the city has a two- year budget. Of course, it revisits that budget every year, so, it's not fixed, this year two is not fixed, year two becomes year one and then that can change. However, what was approved in the last budget was an ongoing expenditure for the CBO expenses and an ongoing transfer from the general fund. So at this point, it is approved as an ongoing expenditure, but the budget is revisited every year and changes can be made. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Are we doing now or
0: are we doing Yeah, at the end. Yeah, we we'll do it at the Yeah, at the end of E and then so but maybe this is a little bit different since, you're right, we do public comment at the end of this, so you can probably do, do your questions with deputy director now. Okay. Do you want to do first? Um, no, I'll do, it, I'll do it afterwards, just because we, that's what we standardly do with this for this item. We normally do on, reg, on each regular item, we usually ask for public comment and then you guys have your discussions. However, during this director's report items, I always call public comment at the end. Okay. And if can, okay. It's if you Okay. And then let's have so that it's not uh, okay. Okay. Um so is there a public comment on item 4C? I'm lost. So, <laughs> just whatever they want to do. <laughs>
5: This is exactly why we need to be back in the program and not under the chaos of uh, the general fund.
0: Is there any remote uh, public comment on this item? Okay. Then get cut back forward.
1: Just one question. Um, Did we determine what fees were allowed to use um, in order to support the CBO program?
9: I believe it is possible to use the apartment license fee to support that program.
2: Commissioner Shaddix.
10: Alex, thank you again for your report. Um, Question. And... Addbacks. So, if if 160,000 has to come out of the CBO, is there still an opportunity somewhere along this route to get an add back from one of the supervisors to put that back in the budget um, to make it whole, or is that
9: not going to happen? So, the addback is part of the approved budget process. So, the budget is done for fiscal year 24. Add back would only be for fiscal year years 25 and 26.
11: Thank you. Um, There were two commenters who uh, referenced landlord fees and the history of raising the landlord fees. Uh, Could you provide some context or some background on those specific fees and the history since 2005 on on the landlord fees?
9: Sure. So there was a fee study in around 2005, and then in 2015. Uh, the last, in 2015, when times things were booming, there was an across-the-board de- fee decrease of 7%. And then, I believe, fees were implemented in 2000, uh, the last upward fee change was implemented in 2008, I believe, and that was an increase So since 2015, CPI increase alone is about 30%. I would have to look what it would be going back to 2008 or 2005, but it would be significantly more. And for some context, the apartment slash hotel license fees, the revenue last year was about $7 million. So if we were to fund the uh, CBO, the CBOs through a fee increase there then we'd need to raise an additional five so that's about 70 percent rough increase to those fees is what it would take to support that program
2: Uh, i'm going to start out with my disclosure which is that i previously worked at for an organization that was funded By DVI's city grant program, and I still maintain friendships with people who both receive and provide those services. Um, But we're not talking about a particular organization, we're talking about a line item. I, last meeting, Commissioner Newman made a very clear request that the fee study address all possible fees that could be used, that could fund the sro the city grant program will that be in the fee study
9: it currently is not as um the general fund is funding it so those expenditures were out of the cost pool but i think the analysis is pretty simple so we can include a separate one it would basically be what i stated this is the eligible fee uh this is how much it would need to increase by
3: Okay, I'm
2: before. feeling very confused because I thought I got a, a yes last month. Last month I thought that you said yes that will be, that Commissioner Newman's request will be in the fee study. And so now I'm hearing no. So I'm feeling very confused about this fee study and if this is going to be in it or not. Because I, we cannot have a commission where we get, it's yes one month, it's maybe it's no, maybe it's yes, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. We have to have the real information. So. I would like to have by the end of the week a very clear yes or no this is in the fee study or will not be in the fee study and how we can receive that information please
9: sure we will include it in the fee study
2: thank you okay i appreciate that (laughs) um i do not think it's appropriate for the commission to weigh in on the question of how any mayor's cuts are, 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 are approved or how they go through. Um, I think that's between the department and the mayor's office. So I'm going to not comment on that. And I don't think it's a commission business to, to weigh in um, on, on, that, on that item.
0: There are there any further Commissioner comments or questions? From Deputy Director? Okay, see none. Thank, thank you. Deputy thank Director. You. Okay, um, next we have item 4D, update on proposed or recently enacted state or local legislation.
12: Good morning, Interim President President Alexander Toot and Commissioners. I'm Carl Nesita, Legislative Affairs Manager with a monthly update on local and state legislation impacting the department. Uh, The first items I'll cover as the presentation comes up are two ordinances that became effective since your last meeting. The first is an ordinance changing how the city sets, imposes, and collects various development impact fees and amending the building code to allow the deferral of those impact fees until the issuance of the first certificate of occupancy. Our IT team here at DBI and our fee collection staff have been working to implement those changes in our permit tracking system, which is where those impact fees are assessed and we will be ready for a November 1 launch of this program. And then another ordinance that went into effect is the ordinance adding a business sign fee waiver to the existing May small business awning fee waiver. This uh, business sign fee waiver and a fee waiver for new awning installations is in addition to the May small business fee waiver for awning replacements, Uh, but the business sign fee waiver and the new awning installation fee waiver is for a limited two-year period, retroactive to May 2023 and May 2024, where the awning replacement fee waiver for small businesses in May will last in perpetuity or until the Board of Supervisors uh, removes that fee waiver legislatively. Next slide. Now these next two ordinances were introduced, but have either been tabled or will be substituted. An ordinance amending the electrical code to require specific certifications for electrical work. Uh, This legislation has been tabled, but we are working with Supervisor Chan and her office on an information sheet to clarify installation requirements for electrical work. And then an ordinance amending the building code to allow DBI to waive the annual registration fee for vacant or abandoned commercial storefronts. Uh, that ordinance will be substituted uh, by the mayor, uh, the mayor who's the sponsor of this legislation. So it will come, come to you as a presentation at a future meeting. I'll stop there for local legislation because items five, six, and seven on the agenda are some legislation that we'll cover in more detail. But on the next slide, there's some state legislative updates. Uh, Governor Newsom did sign AB 1114, which I covered in detail last month it's the bill authored by assembly member matt haney from san francisco which would require dbi to determine whether a building permit application for housing projects is complete within 15 days of the department receiving that application and then during the plan review phase dbi and all other review agencies would have some time limitations uh, for either determining that a project is code compliant or issuing a comprehensive request for revisions. Covered it more comprehensively last month, but you can see those time limits on the screen. Uh, One thing I do want to mention today is that once DBI and other reviewing agencies determine that a project is code compliant, uh, the project can't be uh, required to go through any additional appeals or hearings. Next slide. A few other state bills that were signed by Governor Newsom that I wanted to bring to your attention. AB 42 prohibits a local agency from requiring fire sprinklers in temporary sleeping cabins on site with fewer, uh, 50 or fewer temporary sleeping cabins. And that is a defined term in the legislation to mean temporary housing to people experiencing homelessness or at the risk of homelessness. Uh, AB 1132 extends a cap on permit fees for residential and commercial solar energy systems. The cap is already in place and DBI follows that cap, um, but it was set to expire on January 1st, 2025, and this legislation now extends that cap to 2034. AB 548 requires local agencies to develop policies and procedures for inspecting multi-unit buildings when an inspector has determined that a unit is in violation of housing code and that violation may affect other units in that building. DBI's Housing Inspection Division already complies with the requirements of this new state law. And then one more that I'd like to mention that's not on the slide is AB 1332, which would require that the city develop a program for pre-approved accessory dwelling unit plans. DBI will work with the planning department, fire, and public works to have Uh, That in place by January 1st, 2025, as mandated by this legislation. And that concludes my presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions.
0: Okay. Thank you. Um, Next, we have item 4E, update on inspection services.
13: Uh, Good morning, commissioners. I'm Matthew Green, um, acting deputy director for inspection services. I'm happy to provide an update on our activities and performance of the Inspection Services Division. Um, can I get the first slide? Thank you. Um, in September of 2023, the Building, Electrical, and Plumbing Divisions conducted 10,427 inspections. 91% of those inspections were conducted within two business days of the date requested by the customer, meeting our target of 90%. Next slide. Uh, In the same month, our housing inspection services conducted 873 inspections with 121 of them being routine inspections of multifamily housing. Next slide. The building electrical and plumbing divisions received 416 complaints and responded to 99% of them within three business days, well exceeding their target of 85%. Additionally, our 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 code enforcement division sent 78 cases to directors hearing. Next, please. Lastly, our housing inspection services received 358 non-life hazard complaints and responded to 93% of them within three business days. For life hazard and heat complaints, housing received 18 complaints and responded to 78% of them within one business day. Housing inspection services also abated 423 cases with a notice of violation and sent 33 cases to the Um I'm available for any questions you may have. Thank you. Question.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um, is there any public comment on the director's report items 4A through E? One
10: question. Sorry. Okay. I can wait till after the public comment, though. Okay. If, okay. One question. Is there any? Th- There's no public oh, comment. I'm so sorry. I just was slow to hit the <laughs> hit the mic. Um, earlier in this meeting, I heard a public comment, and I, I thought it was really interesting. Is is that is, is there a category available? to report on the timeliness of when these uh, complaints are are closed? Um, Is is that something that, is it hard to do or is it? I'd I'd have to talk to our
13: data analyst to see if that's possible. Um, I would just comment, you know, if a complaint is closed quickly, it would say to me that there weren't any violations there. If there was a violation, then there's a process to abate the violation. may require a building permit. And the complaints, you know, the complaints do remain open until the, uh, If you do get a building permit to comply with a notice of violation, the complaint will remain open until that all work is done and the permit is completed. So, I mean, if you did want that data, you want to break it up into different categories, I think.
10: Okay. I'd be interested in it. I'll certainly go to the right channel. I'll
13: discuss with our data analyst, see if that's possible. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Um, Next, we are on to item five. Discussion and possible action regarding Board of Supervisors Ordinance, file number 231005, amending the building code to extend the deadlines for existing buildings with the place of public accommodation, to comply with the requirement to have all primary... I, I said for a through E. I asked, I asked for public comment for 4A. I'm okay. um, sorry. Um, and to pers- to receive a city determination of equivalent facilitation, technical and feasibility or reasonable hardship to extend the period for granting extensions from those deadlines and to extend the time for the Department of Building Inspections report to the Board of Supervisors regarding the Disability Access Improvement Program.
12: Thank you, Sonia Hi again. Commissioners, Carl and the legislative affairs manager. And as Sonia just said, this is an ordinance for your consideration, which would amend the building code to extend the deadlines for the accessible business entrance program by two years your possible action today would be to make a recommendation of approval of the ordinance to the board of supervisors and i'll give just a little bit of background on the accessible business entrance program or abe program and a brief snapshot of current abe compliance numbers before turning it over to zara haji who's legislative aide to supervisor rafael mandelman who is the sponsor of this ordinance. So really quickly, just as background, especially for our newer commissioners, in 2016, the Board of Supervisors passed the Mandatory Disability Access Improvement Ordinance, requiring property owners and tenants to make their business entrances physically accessible. And the law helps property owners and their tenants achieve access to their business to the greatest extent possible. And the law is in addition to the state and federal accessibility requirements that property owners must meet under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And the ordinance was amended in 2021 to extend the compliance deadlines during the COVID-19 pandemic. And this ordinance would then provide an additional extension. Monique, if you could go to slide number four that says compliance schedule. So quickly, here's the compliance schedule for the ABE program currently, and showing the proposed two-year extension in the ordinance before you today. You can see that without the deadline extension, property owners were supposed to submit a compliance checklist, a waiver, checklist, or exemption form by June 30th, 2022. Obviously, that deadline has passed, and DBI has since mailed a number of reminders to non-compliant businesses. a compliance checklist is submitted to DBI. Building permits for work to make a business entrance accessible were to be filed by December 31st, 2022, and permits obtained by September 29, 2023. And Monique, if you could go back to slide three, that says ABE program compliance. Thank you. So this table and chart shows ABE compliance to date as of last week for 23,000 properties under the program. You can see in the pie chart that 66% of buildings, about 15,000, are compliant, should actually say partially compliant, and about 34% or almost 8,000 are not compliant. Moving to the table to the left, I'll do my best job of er, showing you through this. The first row shows category one buildings, those which are already accessible still a compliance form requirement, uh, and 3,688 businesses um, are compliant as Category 1. The second row shows the number of properties that have submitted a checklist to DBI, identifying which category their property falls under. And that's about 4,000 properties that have submitted a checklist. 25% of these properties, about 1,000, have either filed an application for a building permit, or their permit has been issued, or the work under an issued permit is complete. However, 75% of properties that have submitted a checklist have not yet filed a building permit application. Now, moving down the table to no forms, self-explanatory, we haven't heard anything from these properties, of almost 5,000 of them. Um, It's possible that some of these properties are either exempt or would qualify for a waiver. We just haven't heard anything from these properties. And again, we have followed up with all of the non-compliant properties several times. And then finally, the last two rows on these tables are exempt buildings, which are facilities that are not a place of public accommodation or are a religious organization or private club. Or a newly constructed building that had a building permit application filed on or after January 1st, 2022. And then waived buildings include buildings where work was uh, already done to make the buildings accessible. And if you could go now two slides. The Code Advisory Committee did meet last week, they reviewed the ordinance and made a unanimous recommendation to the BIC to recommend approval of this ordinance to the Board of Supervisors. So that's it for my overview, and now I will introduce Zara Haji, who's Legislative Aid to Supervisor Mandelman, to speak more about this ordinance in particular before you today for your consideration. Zahra.
14: Thanks, Carl, and um, hello, Commissioners. First is a PSA, so International Shakeout Day is tomorrow. But I guess San Francisco prepared us for a test with an actual earthquake, which is fun. <laughs> so my name is Zara Haji. I'm a legislative aide for Supervisor Mandelman. Um, Carl provided a great overview of you know, context with the ABE program and you know, why Supervisor Mandelman decided to introduce um, legislation for another two-year extension. And happy to give a little bit more context as to you know, why the supervisor decided to you know, introduce the legislation and what we've been hearing from businesses. So um, how this issue came to our attention is um we were nearing the um DEADLINE THIS YEAR TO BE ABLE TO, YOU KNOW, OBTAIN AND SECURE A BUILDING PERMIT, WHICH WAS SEPTEMBER 29TH. SO WE DECIDED TO INTRODUCE THE EXTENSION ON SEPTEMBER 26TH AT THE BOS MEETING. Um, AND AS WE WERE NEARING um, ONE OF THOSE COMPLIANCE DEADLINES, WE HAD A LOT OF OUTREACH FROM BUSINESSES, BOTH IN OUR DISTRICT AND ALSO ACROSS THE CITY, um, THAT, YOU KNOW, SHARED SOME PRETTY harrowing EXPERIENCES, um, TRYING TO, YOU KNOW, COMPLY WITH THE ABE PROGRAM. Um, and just to you know name a couple, so we had one restaurant owner in Bernal Heights who reached out to us, um, spending thousands of dollars on building inspections all to address a single step in front of his business entrance in order to comply with the program, um, where he tried to apply for um, the ABE program provides a couple safe harbor exemptions. so one of the which is a technical infeasibility, and one of which is an unreasonable hardship. Um, you know, in a financial sense. So um, he attempted to, you know, file for a a financial, uh, for an unreasonable... Um, financial hardship for the business, um, and in order to get that, you have to go to the Access Appeals Commission. Um, he found out that the Access Appeals Commission hadn't met in over two years. So, you know, there were many businesses who were attempting to file for these sorts of exemptions because it was either, you know, really technically infeasible um, because of just the state of their building. Some of these buildings are hundreds of years old. It's really difficult to be able to, you know, technically admit, you know, Um, amend their business entrance in order to comply with the program, or it would just cost way too much money and impact business operations. And many of these businesses are still recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic. So um, due to these sorts of examples that we were hearing, you know, both in District 8, but also across the city, um, you know, the supervisor took it upon himself to introduce legislation for this extension. And um, we've been working with um, the Office of Small Business, Katie Tang specifically, um, who's been, you know, convening departments um, like DBI, like the Mayor's Office of Disability, um, like Public Works, among others, to you know really figure out what potential solutions could be um, to be able to, to amend the ABE program to be able to you know, still foundationally address, you know, what the intent of the ABE program was, which to, was to make um, these business entrances accessible, uh, physically accessible to folks, but at the same time, make it, um, you know, an experience where businesses would be able to comply with the program in a reasonable manner that would be affordable for them. So um, that's some more context on what we've been hearing from businesses and, you know, the intent of this legislation. Um, so happy to take any questions or there might be public comment first.
0: Thank you. Is there a public comment on this item first, on item five? Any remote public comment? Okay, I'm seeing none of their commissioner questions.
10: Sorry, thank you so much. And I appreciate uh, Supervisor Mandelman taking this on. I've been working on this for, I think, now seven years, um, especially out in our outer district of 10. And you're right. There's a lot of older building stocks, and of those 5,000 no forms, we probably own a lot of those, as does um, other outer districts. Um, <clears throat> when we were first doing what I refer to as the ground game, um, a lot of these merchants were unable to navigate, you know, the the city system, if you will, the links, the you know, where where you go to try to get compliant, and then just get simple questions answered, like, can I get an exemption? So. I'm very, very well aware of all that. So getting to my question, I just first wanted to say thank you to Supervisor Mandelman and especially Katie Tang, um, who was on the ground game for a long time working on this, trying to help small businesses. So the only thing I ask is that there be some sort of outreach to our smaller businesses that are in the outer neighborhoods so we all clearly understand a path. Um, These older buildings that have, and I have plenty of examples of those, of a step in front and we did through a grant program we did a uh, an abatement um um and it was over about $150,000 uh to we had to r- raise the sidewalk to get that step up uh, you know any small business out in my district is not going to be able to afford that that just we just got lucky cuz we got a HUD grant to uh, accommodate that but um i just asked that there be you know a, a robust outreach and i'm happy to be a part of that if president toot will allow me to uh you know organize uh you know a, a group to um you know be at the table as far as like what what outreach looks like um how do we communicate with these departments like you said the the other group hadn't met for two years that that's real you know we've come across that same thing too so um end of the day we all want to be compliant everyone's welcome in our businesses um no matter what and uh, i just want to make sure that our 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 smallest of businesses you know, which have the older building stocks um, get the resources and help, and especially the the education to get resources. Um, And uh, with that, thank you.
14: Thank you. Thank you so much for that flag. Really appreciate it. And something the supervisor is really mindful as well. So when he introduced the legislation, you know, we flagged for, you know, all the merchants associations in our district, and we're happy to share that supervisor and Guardia is a co-sponsor supervisor chance a co-sponsor so um, with them supporting the legislation I'm sure they've been doing outreach through their merchants associations and to businesses in their districts as well but super super happy to take you know any ideas for outreach that you know we as a supervisor's office can do or how we could partner with DBI or merchants associations like CDma um, to be able to really spread the word and make sure that businesses know you know one that this extension is happening but also two you know as we figure out what to do with the program to you know, ensure that businesses are able to get into compliance, um, ensure that there's enough outreach so businesses know where to go and that the process is easier for them to access.
11: Uh, So, in your comment, you provided some anecdotes about business owners reaching out and explaining the difficulties into coming into compliance within the deadline, even though uh, that it's now been extended, and this is the seventh year to come into com- compliance. My understanding of the current legislation, the cor- the current law, is it's ultimately the owner's responsibility. And what I was inferring from your anecdote, or from the, from the stories and the tales, with, was that it was the, uh, uh, the commercial lessees, tenants, commercial tenants, who were reaching out and explaining the difficulties. Why have, has there been any, reaching out from the owners to explain why in their seven years to come into compliance with, with this program and to make their buildings accessible to the disabled community in San Francisco, why they haven't in seven years been able to come into compliance because it's uh, you addressed it for the small business owner who's perhaps a commercial tenant why they've had that challenge but why the owner who probably you know, at least in my experience with commercial leases has had different lessees within that seven years or the same lessee and has, has has had the opportunity to negotiate with that lessee and, uh, make sure that they've come into compliance. Why, wh- where's the, uh, what's the reporting from the owners there for why they haven't been able to do this?
14: Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure if DBI can share more on that with the businesses that reached out to us. A lot of them were small, like mom and pop shops where, um, they were all the, the owners of the business were also the owner of the building so they were sharing you know why it was a little more infeasible for them for some of the building owners that reached out to us or where you know the small business connected us to the business owner just by nature of the buildings, a lot of them just spoke to the te- the technical infeasibility of the building and just the sh- how in some cases they would say that they they followed the first step of the checklist where they would get you know a certified architect or engineer or CASP, and then they would come over and say, oh, this doing any amendments to comply with the ABE program would actually affect the structure, structural integrity of the building. So sometimes it doesn't even have to do with the financial cost of it, but just, you know, it's technically impossible. Um, so just finding ways to be able to address that for both building owners as well as small businesses um, and, and, you know, commercial tenants so that You know, they have the option to be able to apply for a technical infeasibility or an unreasonable hardship, which are the safe harbor exemptions in the program. But, you know, if you want to share further details,
11: they've already had that opportunity to apply for the hardship.
14: Well, in some cases, so there are two ways to apply. So, for I, I believe for a technical infeasibility, you go through DBI. For an unreasonable hardship, you would have to go through DBI and the Access Appeals Commission. We've heard that the Access Appeals Commission hasn't met for a considerably long time. So, for people who were trying to get these safe harbor exemptions, they weren't hearing back. So, it wasn't possible for them to be able to get those exemptions, you know, within the compliance deadlines for the program. So, those are some of the experiences that we've been hearing from folks who were applying.
11: Okay. And final final question. Um, the current law, under the current law, under the current code, uh, if the deadline isn't complied with, then the owner is declared to be, uh, will be in uh, violation of, of the code, and then maybe be ordered to abate the violation. Why isn't that sufficient? Why, why the extension? If, uh, you know, with the order of abatement, they will have to come into compliance within a certain amount of time, why not have that be the mechanism in which to get the one-third of the owners not in compliance after seven years? Why isn't that a sufficient enforcement mechanism? Why, why instead an extension?
14: I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not sure so, I understand yeah, your question. So, if, so
11: if, uh, if an owner of a building has failed to uh, come into compliance within seven years, the enforcement mechanism is to require them to come into compliance and shall be considered in violation of the code and the, bill and the building official is authorized to abate the violation in accordance. So there's an order of a, an abatement. They, they'd just be in violation. They, they would be in in viola- violation here and have to and be ordered to abate the, uh, abate the violation, in which case they still have to perform the the improvements. Uh, so why give the extension, which is just going to delay the
12: improvement? Well.
14: Oh, did you want to speak to that?
12: So thank you, Commissioner Williams. And related to your last question as well, I think they're connected. Um, While it is the property owner's responsibility um, under the ABE program, we've seen this widespread issue that there are lease provisions uh, between the property owner and the business owner on commercial leases that actually assign that responsibility to the small business, business themselves and not the property owner. So while the order of abatement will be on the property, that responsibility is transferred via the lease to the the small businesses rather than the property owner.
15: Right. Hi, Commissioners, I'm Patrick Hannon. I'm the Director of Communications for the Department of Building Inspection.
6: Terrific questions,
15: Commissioner. Um, First of all, I want to note that since January of last year, we've put out 10 different communications, thousands and thousands of mailings to people informing them of their responsibility here. What we've heard anecdotally, uh, these notices go out to the business own- or the property owner. What we've heard anecdotally is that in some cases, the property owner didn't actually pass along that information to the business owner. Um, we don't get involved in dis- contract disputes between a property owner and a tenant. Um, and so in some cases, if that didn't happen, that tenant may have no way of knowing. Um, you're absolutely right that when it comes time for enforcement, we will enforce on the property owner. And we've seen that with great success. The soft story program, for example, we had a jump in compliance once the enforcement process started, right? Because there's real ramifications there. I think the difference with this one is that the bill would literally be paid by these small businesses and that contract between the property owner and that, and that tenant adds a further layer of complication. We did extend uh, the deadlines um, in part because we had suspended outreach for the program during COVID. It didn't feel right for businesses that were literally shut down to say, you have this additional responsibility, even though no one can come into your shop, we're gonna make you have this compliance component. Um, so we did, we put that on hold, and that was why we originally extended the deadline, is to give folks an additional two years. I think we would be delighted to work with the supervisor's office and let folks know, like we did for the, when we had the awning situation, let them know that legislation is in the works or when it passes, that they have these other options so that they know they have additional time. I think we share the concern that people are just gonna kick the can down the road. And what we can do is we can continue to inform people and communicate with them about this responsibility and team up with the Office of Small Business to make sure that there's additional outreach to these merchant associations and other folks who can help bring them along. The last thing that I wanna note is I went to a meeting of the Bernal Heights Merchants Association and there was misunderstanding about when they needed to raise the sidewalks versus when they needed, when there were other options available. The Access Appeals Commission meets as needed. So if they didn't meet for two years, that was because there weren't sufficient agenda items or there wasn't, there wasn't a need at that time. Obviously that, that can cause create, uh, confusion and uncertainty within the community that again, that, that should be addressed and we need to work through that. Um, But hopefully additional communication, the additional deadlines that the supervisor's office is proposing will give us the opportunity to to do that work and and help additional people come into compliance. The last thing I guess I just wanna note is that some of these costs are expensive and whether it's the architect that actually has to come out or the, the, the CASP inspector, um, or the actual work that needs to be done. And we, we just need to acknowledge that in some cases, that's a real burden for businesses that are still struggling to recover from COVID, that are still struggling to get foots in the, in the door. And so again, I think that we appreciate what Supervisor Mandelman's proposed, in part because it acknowledges that there's a real cost here and that perhaps a little bit more time will give people the chance to get a little bit more on their feet so they can they can actually recover and and be able to bear this these costs a little bit more more healthily healthily Um, easier thank you
0: thank you are there any further comments or is there a motion uh regarding this item
2: um i have some comments okay so um I'm, i'm happy to see about the the stakeholder input and i'm curious, you know, there is legislation that this is obviously, so the state legislation is in effect. The question is, should DBI be enforcing or hold off on enforcing, right? Like, nobody's, like, like property owners today can get sued for being out of compliance. The question is just like DBI's enforcement hand. Am I correct in that understanding? That we're not delaying the effect of the legislation. We're just delaying department action.
15: ADA is a federal law. And so that's federal. Um, But the the ABE program is a a local legislation. So what we are doing is we are delaying the enforcement um, and delaying the deadlines by which they have to achieve compliance. As Carl noted, there's three different deadlines, right? The deadline that you submit your report and say, this is, what, this is what the architect is saying, the deadline by which you apply for your permit and the deadline by which you need to obtain your permit. That's kind of our standard play, whether it's for notices of violation or anything else, we give people those three categories. Um, and then those, those deadlines are what we're holding off on. So it's not the actual enforcement process, right. it's the one they need to comply by.
2: Compliance. thank you. And then can the question of responsibility be considered legislatively? this question of building owner versus, and I, I'm just, I'm not asking you like necessarily personally to answer to this, but it's more rhetorical. Um, but in that stakeholder process, I think one of the things to consider is the ultimate responsibility. Like if, you know, are the regardless of lease agreements, is there a way for this? Like, is, is there something to consider around the cities uh, like where the city puts? Um, like that it, 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 Anyway, that, that's what I would, I would, I would, I would put into the, the brainstorm, uh, with the stakeholders, you know, possible legislation saying who is, who's ultimately responsible for this, because it is, you know, um, or, you know, rotating group of, of small businesses versus the, the owner, I think is a, is a legislative question to be, to be considered. Um, and, I, I am supportive of this legislation and so I appreciate all the work that has been done on it um, but I do think that the the stakeholder groups looking for a way to make our you know to, to get people into compliance or to just be really clear uh, you know wh- where it's impossible where you know who is exempt and for the for the correct reasons and getting um, getting the access Appeals commission up and running and uh, and kind of moving this this forward is the right is the right thing to be on and I um, so I'm grateful for DBI's leadership and also from Supervisor Mandelman and, of course, um, Katie Tank from the Office of Small Business. So um, I think I, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what the, the stakeholder group comes out with.
15: Yeah, and, and I would defer to the Supervisor's Office and to our city attorney as to whether how to involve like, that, con- that, that yeah. tension that you speak to. What I know is that the building and housing codes, we enforce on the property owner. At the end of the day, that's where the train stops. That's where we enforce, whether it's, uh, I don't have my heats working or um, whatever it is, that's always where we go. That's right. Thank you. Happy to
2: explore it. Okay, thank
0: you. Okay. Okay,
1: thank you. Is there um, a motion to- May I ask one one last question? Based on the number that you've seen that are exempt, is there? Do you guys have like a standard list so that people understand that these type of buildings or of this vintage, like you, you just kind of know, you know, mm. like based on, because uh, there are only there. Well, there are a lot of different building types in San Francisco, but are, there are definitely some that repeat, mm-hmm. um, and conditions that repeat. So I'm just wondering if we have a list that and I support the legislation.
15: Yeah, you know, something we've looked at is whether we could develop a sort of matrix, something that says under these conditions or what's that right mix, um, this isn't just us. Um, And so there's also, there's other city departments that are involved um, and and there's definitely a sense that some of this stuff is hard to actually just put down into a simple matrix. That is something that we've explored and we're continuing to explore it. I think Katie Tang has also been trying to provide some leadership um, on that. Um, and so if that's something we're looking at, um, but it's not, it's not as simple as just being able to draw up a Venn diagram and say, you know, if you're, if you're inside this circle, you hit it. But to your point, you're right, a lot of these conditions repeat. Um, and so we should be able to identify certain conditions that when they repeatedly occur, um, it would give at least some guidance for people for how to, uh, how to get that exemption. Thanks.
10: Go ahead. Uh, one comment or question-ish. Um, and I do support this legislation as well none of this exempts you from a drive-by lawsuit sure. um so if anybody is rolling down and they can't get into your business you can still be sued for having non-accessibility and i don't know if that'll be a question for a deputy city attorney but none of this um and then the bigger question is is it the business owner or is it the property owner so there's so much in here um but i did want to call that out that you could still get sued um by someone and we we experienced that you know pre-COVID
15: a lot. You you can Um, unfortunately you can and I just want to note that the accessible business entrance program really focuses on entrances right and making sure that if you can't if a person can't get into your business what's the equivalent service that you're providing a doorbell and, and a willingness to come out to the curb what does that look like for that that entrance component of accessibility it doesn't speak to what's happens actually inside the building access to a restroom counter height that sort of thing and and then i would defer to the city attorney's office on how the a, the abe and the ada programs um intermix
16: Deputy City Attorney Rob Kaplan. I'm not going to opine on the potential for private litigation between parties. (laughs) This is a city ordinance that goes above and beyond what California Building Code requires, and therefore it's it's a it's entire uh, unique chapter to our City 11D. I have a sorry.
11: Two more uh, two more points, and anybody can respond. Uh, First, uh, if I'm understanding the context and background here, what's happened is after this uh, this AB code was put in enacted in 2016, the owners of the building were notified of their need to comply at some point, and thereafter, because they were having contract disputes with their tenants, determined that they uh, that's their explanation for not complying, or an explanation for not complying. Is that the owner was having a contract dispute with their tenant, and therefore determined on their own that they simply wouldn't com- wouldn't respond to the notice and comply. If that's if I'm misunderstanding the, the context there, I just want to make sure I, I'm I'm getting that clear because uh, I think that's important. So that's uh, that's the first point. The second point is the excuse about uh, excuse or explanation, legitimate, probably legitimate that the access. Appeals Commission has not been available for appeals. But what I have, unless I'm uh, misunderstanding this proposed legislation, the Access Appeals Commission and their deficiencies in hearing the appeals, that's not addressed in the legislation, in this proposed legislation. So am I incorrect? Uh, why, if, it's, if that's really the, if that's a, a root issue for the noncompliance, why isn't it addressed in the, in
15: the legislation? So first, let me say that we do have people that have come into compliance, right? So not, not everybody has disregarded the the notices. Right. I mean, a lot of people have taken the first initial steps or even the second step into the into the process, but not enough, right? Like we still have a lot of people that are outstanding. Um, I can't speak to why every single person didn't comply with the program, but what we've heard anecdotally was that at least in some cases, business owners were surprised when we started informing them that they were that there was a non-compliant. Uh, 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 element to their business um, or the property that they were renting um, because they hadn't they weren't aware of the previous notices whether that communication happened didn't happen we we can't speak to that we just know that they're not in compliance in terms of the access appeals commission again I would defer to the supervisor's office for whether they're considering including it um, but the access appeals commission will meet when there's a need for them to meet um, and, that, and, and they do. So if there hasn't been a meeting in a while, it has simply been that there hasn't been the need for them to make the determinations that they make. Um, and it may be that somebody just hasn't gotten that far along the process. They may have looked at the agenda hearing, decided, oh, my gosh, they don't meet very often. But when they do need to, they will.
11: With the Access Appeals Commission and their determination on the need for a meeting, is that based upon receiving appeals? Is that because these owners have not been appealing? Correct. Okay, so, so what is there anything in this legislation that will change that reality of the owners not appealing and just waiting until the deadline because they're having a contract dispute with their
15: lessee to the supervisor's office
14: sure and happy to share more like we're you know with this legislation and the intent of this extension like the access appeals commission is not necessarily the sole root of the issue right like we've heard other experiences where You know, as we've mentioned, like sometimes or a lot of the times, like the onus onus is on the tenant or the business owner. We've had one business owner who were close nearing the deadline. They were reaching out to website consultants that were posing as CASPs. And we had an experience of one business owner that paid $15,000 to a fraudulent CASP to try to address this issue as they were nearing the compliance deadline just because they didn't really understand, you know, and as you all can tell from even this presentation and the questions that are being asked, it's a very technical piece of legislation. And for a lot of business owners, it's pretty difficult for them to be able to you know, navigate this multi-step process in order to become compliant with the ABE program. So the purpose of this, this piece of legislation at this time is to introduce this extension just to give business owners DBI the supervisors that are doing outreach all the departments that are coming together to figure out what amendments to this legislation or this overall ABE program could be to help businesses become in better compliance with the ABE program so right now this legislation is extending just to give everyone more time and hopefully as these departments and supervisors and all of us come together to identify you know what are the the root issues of the ABE program as it stands and what are some you know major changes that we could make in order to help businesses become in better compliance, then we can, you know, come back to you all or continue to convene and have this conversation to identify, you know, what those changes to the program could be and, you know, how we can identify it either through, you know, procedural changes or through future legislation. But as of now, the legislation as it stands is an extension to grant these business owners more time as some of these compliance deadlines have already passed or are, you know, close to... um, um, actually the most recent compliance deadline was on September 29th. So, you know, just to be able to give business owners more time in order to, you know, for us to identify these changes to the program and for them to come into compliance. Commissioner,
15: I'd make one other point, and that is that there's actually a limited number of CASP inspectors. And what, what at least what I've seen in my conversations with some business owners has been that the architects, this isn't necessarily the area of expertise. And like the gentleman in, Ber- in Bernal Heights, his architect was telling him he had to raise a sidewalk And whether that was accurate or not, that was different from when we've spoken to CASP inspectors. That's not the first thing you go to, (laughs) right? Like you'd you'd try to explore other options in other cases. So it's not to say that 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 has been the situation in in every one of these properties, but it is just to acknowledge that there's a certain number of people that do this work and hopefully by doing additional outreach and by extending the deadlines, we can get these business owners to tap into the existing pool um, and actually take advantage of, of, of the time that we're giving them or that they're being provided.
1: I, I would just like to say that, you know, San Francisco is going above and beyond what is generally required. Um, everyone is still held to ADA compliance, right, as, as was noted earlier. Um, and, you know, I worked for a disabilities rights organization for five years, I worked for Center for Independence of the Disabled in New York, and I just applaud that this, this city has chosen to go above and beyond here. Um, And I also understand not wanting to overburden uh, small businesses. It is really technical, it is really hard stuff. Um, Leases between tenants and property owners are complex and they can take so many different forms. Um, Oftentimes, you know, tenants are responsible for any improvements and it can sometimes extend to the frontage of the building or it can sometimes just be the interior walls. And so there is a gray area here in understanding who the responsible party is for compliance and, and you do have to look at those leases to make that determination. So um, I would just like to say that I support uh, moving, I would like to make a motion to uh, support this legislation and see it move forward.
15: It's a balancing act, right? Particularly in a city where we have such old buildings. And so how do we balance the, the right intentions with making sure that people can actually do this in a sustainable, real way? I don't know. I don't know.
11: I before, yeah, before we uh, have the motion, if, if I could. So. Uh,
8: oh, sure.
16: Oh, deputy city attorney Rob Kaplan. Was was there an actual motion made, and was there a second? No, we didn't. Uh, we okay. Didn't it, so she's uh, then, at the end. of well, The order of events is there was a motion made, and then Commissioner no Williams has to speak. So okay. I'm asking. The, or, we we would need a, a second on the motion before we proceed on that. If if before someone seconded, there's more comment. Um, the commissioner uh, Commissioner Williams can can speak. Okay. Sorry. um I, I would for now uh let commissioner Williams speak and then we'll entertain a motion after that okay.
2: Okay. Okay. To... Right. I,
11: I, okay. <laughs> thank okay. thanks everyone for being <laughs> down uh uh yeah so uh, I guess if we're giving our uh opinions on the legislation, a concern I have and i i'm sure it's it's coming through here is what this does to change the reality. I mean, it is just extending the deadline, and it is, I think, in for good reason, to address the concerns of the small business owners, and, to, you know, and that's all part of a theme here with the city, uh, to support economic recovery after the pandemic, or, and I don't know if we're even after the pandemic. A concern I have is, does this actually help those small business owners? Because it seems like these, uh, these issues with compliance have arisen because of contract disputes with the property owner um, and I think the issue with compliance and again with the the commercial leases if uh, you know if a uh, property owner received a notice in two thousand and sixteen or thereafter uh, that they needed to comply didn't comply and then entered into a lease uh, with the commercial tenant now what we what i'm what we've heard is the tenants didn't have any idea that they needed to comply here. Now, that seems like sort of deceptive leasing from the property owners, and that here we are proposing legislation to address that concern. But uh, it doesn't address that concern. So what, what about prospective leases? What's going to happen when new tenants enter and they're not notified of their need to comply? And then they're reaching the deadline, they're in the first year of their lease, and they're, they're, uh, the landlord is saying, well, here's a $40,000 bill you need to comply, and why can't the legislation address that?
15: Well, let me do, I'll let the supervisor's office speak to the legislation, but I would just note that since we started sending those 10 notices, we did get a, a good degree of compliance, right? We can come in and in the future, we can share exactly what that looked like, but there were property owners that did take it seriously and did take the, the right steps and are continuing along in that step. And so I think our goal is that by doing additional communications, additional outreach, we'll continue to capture as many of those people who want to do the right thing, who just may need to have more time, may need to get more financing, um, whatever the reason why they didn't quite get there. But we are pulling people along as we do that outreach. Um, I'll let the Suarez office speak to your second question.
14: With this specific piece of legislation, it was simply a matter of timing. So we introduced the legislation on September 26th which was nearing a compliance deadline of September 29th. As of now, we're in active conversations with Katie Tang and the Office of Small Business, as we mentioned, who has convened Different departments, including DPI, Public Works, Mayor's Office of Disability, who all you know convened um, to author this original legislation to look at you know these changes and and you know these questions that you all are bringing up about you know what are substantive changes that we can make to the program as a whole in order to help businesses comply. So we want to explore these questions and and take a look. But as of now, with this legislation for the extension, it was due to a matter of timing to ensure that businesses had more time to comply. And with this extension that we have, we can utilize that time to have this active conversation about changes to the program. Um, That would be better for small businesses as a whole to achieve compliance.
1: I would like to make a motion to recommend. Is there a second? I'll second.
0: So there's a motion by Commissioner Newman and a second by Commissioner Shaddix to recommend approval of this ordinance. Um, I believe I did call for public comment, but is there any public comment on that motion? Um, Seeing none, I'll do a roll call vote on the motion. Interim, President Alexander Toot. Yes. Commissioner Newman? Yes. Commissioner SHATTUCKS? Yes. Commissioner Summer? Yes. Commissioner Williams? No. Okay, the motion carries uh, four to one. Okay, thank you. Um next we have item six. Discussion and possible action on proposed ordinance amending the local findings included by reference in the following ordinances one the 2022 San Francisco Building Code, ordinance number 225-22, number two, 2022 San Francisco Green Building Code, ordinance number 227-22, three, 2022 San Francisco Mechanical Code, ordinance number 22822, and four, San Francisco Plumbing Code, ordinance number 23022 in addition to other requirements.
12: Thank you, Sonia. Hi, again, Commissioners. Carl Nasita, Legislative Affairs Manager. As Sonia said, this ordinance would make technical edits to the indexes of findings supporting local amendments to the San Francisco Building Code, the Green Building Code, Mechanical Code, and Plumbing Code. If you could go to slide three, please. Um, just a process note for you, this ordinance has not been submitted yet to the Board of Supervisors. Um, It is a draft approved as to form by the City Attorney's Office, and staff are seeking the Building Inspection Commission's approval and recommendation of approval of this ordinance to the Board of Supervisors before we submit it as the department. Next slide. So some background information on this ordinance. Last year, consistent with the California Building Standards Commission code cycle, The Board of Supervisors repealed the 2019 San Francisco building codes, all that Sonia just read and I just reiterated, and enacted the uh, 2022 code. And as part of that process, the board made express findings section by section that each San Francisco amendment to the California Building Standards Code was reasonably necessary due to local conditions. And those local conditions and findings are generally related to topography, geology, and climate. The slide says geography, but it's actually geology. Uh, The findings are contained in exhibit A to each of the 22 building code ordinances and are on file with the clerk of the board of supervisors. Next slide. So here is exhibit A to each of those ordinances. For each building code ordinance, again, meaning the San Francisco Building Code, Green Building Code, Mechanical Code, and Plumbing Code, there's an index listing the section number of each local amendment to the California Code with the associated findings from this Exhibit A. So there's a table that lists section by section which findings from this exhibit apply to those code amendments. Next slide. So what's the issue? Why is this ordinance necessary? In its review of our local amendments, the Building Standards Commission discovered some technical omissions to the indexes of findings associated with all of those 2022 code ordinances. And they requested corrections to those respective files that are on file with the Clerk of the Board of Supervisors. So this ordinance would make those technical corrections requested by the California Building Standards Commission by updating the index of local findings, which are incorporated by reference in each of the codes. And the clerk of the Board of Supervisors would then update each board file for these ordinances with the amended indexes. So I think the most critical point here is that no codes are being amended, only changes to the index of findings. So again, no underlying building codes are being amended with this ordinance. And next slide. The Code Advisory Committee did meet last week on October 12th, And they made a unanimous recommendation to the BIC that you make a recommendation of approval of this ordinance to the Board of Supervisors. And so with that, staff would like to introduce this ordinance at the Board of Supervisors. And we would request that you make a recommendation of approval. That concludes my presentation. And I'm happy to answer any questions.
0: Okay, thank you, Carl. Is there any um, public comment on item six? Any remote, no commissioner discussion? Any questions? Okay, so there's a motion by interim president Alexander to to recommend support of the ordinance and a second by commissioner Newman. And I'll do a roll call vote on the ordinance. Interim President Alexander Toot? Yes. Commissioner Newman? Yes. Commissioner Shattucks? Yes. Commissioner Summer? Yes. Commissioner Williams? Yes. Okay, that motion carries unanimously. Okay, thank you. Um, next, we have item seven discussion and possible action regarding Board of Supervisors Ordinance, file number 230310, amending the administrative code, building code, and planning code to clarify the ministerial approval process for certain accessory dwelling units, meeting certain requirements in single-family and multi-family buildings in addition to other requirements.
12: Thank you, Sonia. Carl Nacito, Legislative Affairs Manager, last time you'll see me this morning. The proposed ordinance will update San Francisco's Accessory Dwelling Unit or ADU programs to comply with the latest amendments to state law that went into effect on January 1st, 2023. Again, your possible action today is to make a recommendation of approval of this ordinance to the Board of Supervisors. Next slide, actually another slide forward. One more, thank you. Um, Another process note for you on this ordinance, like the last one, Um, The ordinance was introduced earlier this year as planning code amendments, and when it was introduced, there were no building code amendments, so it wasn't referred to the BIC. Uh, Since then, though, building code amendments have been requested by the ordinance sponsor, which is the mayor, and those amendments were drafted and approved as to form by the city attorney's office and were also considered and recommended for approval by the Planning Commission at its meeting of September 28th. Though these specific amendments to the building code have not yet been adopted by the Board of Supervisors in the Land Use Committee or introduced in a substitute ordinance, which is another route. But we definitely expect that the building code amendments will be incorporated into the ordinance before the Board of Supervisors. So we're bringing the ordinance to you now with the draft building code amendments to not delay the legislative process. Next slide. So you probably noticed in your packet, it's a really long ordinance, um, mostly of planning code amendments, as I mentioned before. Um, So I'm really happy my colleague Veronica Flores from the planning department's here to give an overview of the overall ordinance. Um, But here on the screen, you can see the three paragraphs, which are building code amendments in the ordinance. I'll cover these on the next slide, please. So currently under the planning code, the city has 60 days to act on state mandated ADUs. This language in the proposed ordinance has been moved from the planning code to the building code because DBI is the permit review agency. And this ordinance also clarifies that the city has 60 days to approve or deny state mandated ADUs instead of to act within 60 days. Um, Also under the planning code, permits for demolition of a garage that's replaced with an ADU typically do not require notice and could potentially be approved over the counter. Under state law that went into effect at the beginning of this year, demolition of a garage being replaced with an ADU is not required unless the ADU is located in Article 10 or Article 11 districts, which reference to the planning code for historic districts or conservation districts, respectively. This language about demolition of a garage Similarly, has been placed instead in the building code since that scope of work would trigger a notice from DBI uh, to properties within 300 feet of that demolition. Next slide. And the Code Advisory Committee met on October 12th and made a unanimous recommendation to the VIC to recommend approval of this ordinance. So, again, that's the building code overview, but I'd like to invite Veronica Flores from the planning department to provide some more detail on the ordinance as a whole and the updates to our local ADU program.
6: Good morning, commissioners. Veronica Flores, planning department staff. Um, Again, this is related to the next round of accessory dwelling unit legislation to make our local code, our local code language consistent with state law. This ordinance covers the new bills, um, Assembly Bill 2221 and Senate Bill 897, both of which were effective January 1st of this year. So really, the focus here is to make amendments that we are required to do to comply with state law. And I do want to emphasize that um, staff and the city were, were already in in practice, reviewing and approving permits according to state law. And now this ordinance is catching our language up to be able to align with the state law and also align with our current practices. So some of the changes as Mr. Nasita had already shared includes um, the language related to the 60 days to approve or deny the ADU project another change relates to the allowable height limits for adus and um, additionally this ordinance also does um, reorganize the adu programs so that they are in their own standalone sections within the planning code all in efforts to make it easier more legible clearer to understand and for people to use um, so I just want to provide a little more detail on the two um, building code amendments that the mayor's office have, has endorsed. Um, again, the first change relates to the 60 days to approve or deny. Um, currently, the, um, or the last state law said we have 60 days to act which planning is able to do, we're able to review and approve and send this off. Um, Other agencies are able to do as well, but just that technical change to approve or deny, it's more appropriate for this to be within the building code. And then the second change related to the notices for garage demolition. Um, Again, planning code currently allows for some garage demolitions to be approved over the counter without notice. Um, just depending on the site location. Um, we do require a certificate of appropriateness if there is a proposed garage demolition for a historic landmark. And so that proposed garage demolition would then be noticed through that full hearing process. Um, it came to our attention that the building code does um, have their own notices for such garage demolition, so that's where we had reached out and um, have that, included in the building code as well. And um, I believe Mr. Nasida already circulated that lengthy draft with you and it was featured on the slides. So um, that concludes my presentation and I'm available for any questions. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Um, Is there any public comment on item seven? Any remotely? Okay, The commissioners have any questions? And um, there are no questions, is there a motion to recommend approval of the ordinance? So moved. Okay. Is there a 2nd A second. <clears throat> so there is a motion by Interim President Alexander Toot and a second by Commissioner Shaddix. I'll do a roll call vote on this motion. Interim President Alexander Toot? Yes. Commissioner Newman? Yes. Commissioner Shadix? Yes. Commissioner Summer? Yes. And Commissioner Williams? Yes. Okay, the motion carries unanimously. Okay, thank you everyone. Next we are on to item 8, update on the DBI strategic planning process.
15: Hello, commissioners. I'm Patrick Hannon, the director of communications for the Department of Building Inspection. Uh, Since Director Arudin took over three years ago, we've had a series of changes and improvements in our department. Many of these were really critical reforms to get us back on track after a period of difficulty. Uh, We've now implemented uh, many of those reforms and it's now time to establish a new North Star and new priorities to take us to the next level um, and help us achieve our potential. That's really what the city, that's what our customers, and that's what our staff deserve, is us to make the operational improvements to become a highly efficient organization that we all think, with your leadership, that we can get to be. Uh, That's what we're starting here today. Uh, I have Dave Schwartz with me, who's gonna speak to our strategic planning process that'll get underway. Uh, What we're doing is a little bit different. Uh, We're not just gonna do a strategic plan that we look at periodically and say, are we headed off in the right direction? about half of the work that Dave will be doing with us is about implementation of that plan to make sure our executives, our managers, our supervisors, and our staff all have the tools to actually implement the plan and go in the direction that's, that's laid out in that strategic plan. Um, Dave's gonna walk you through a presentation of what's gonna happen, what that process will look like, the timing, he'll speak to a little bit how we would like to involve you guys in this process, Uh, And if at the end of it you have any questions, we'd be happy to answer any questions, but we appreciate your support um, and your willingness to embark on this journey with us.
13: Dave. Thank you. you. Uh,
17: Madam President, members of the commission, uh, Director of Reardon, uh, the second slide. What I'm gonna do is just briefly summarize the strategic planning project that, as Patrick has indicated, we're really formally embarking on today. And if you see under the goals and purposes, it's not only to develop a three or five year plan, which Patrick has referred to as the North star, something that has some shelf life in terms of where you're trying to get to, but we're focusing on developing action plans, which are geared more towards the next couple of years. And then finally supporting implementation. Um, and I'll talk more about that later, particular implementation in the next year or so. When there are some uh, important deadlines in front of you. Next slide, please. We've divided the, Patrick and I have spent the last uh, several weeks customizing what we originally proposed, which was kind of a traditional strategic planning process, to really expedite the front end because you've done a lot of the assessments and things over the last several years. And what uh, Patrick really emphasized is the need for us to develop and, and implement detailed action plans to continue the reforms you've done and to dive down further and make sure they happen and meet deadlines, whatever they may be. So this is essentially the formal kickoff of the project, if you will. we have the similar briefing with the uh, departmental leadership on Friday, and we will be interviews next week in terms of the assessment process. As Patrick indicated, we hope to have you very involved in the process, and I'm going to mention some dates. They're tentative. Um, You know, things will, it's a dynamic process. The second task is really assessments. We're going to be doing a staff survey. We're going to be looking at the results of recent customer surveys. Um, We're doing staff interviews with both internal and external stakeholders, and then developing what we call a SWOT assessments, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, which is really a compilation of the issues that need to be addressed uh, by the strategic planning process. We hope to bring that assessment back to this commission uh, at your December 20th meeting, or somewhere thereabouts, give or take a meeting. You can see we're planning on moving fairly quickly. Uh, Next slide. Task three is actually the strategic plan development, which we have compressed. Normally that might be something that takes three, four, six months. We're really compressing that down into about two months for the departmental level strategic plan, because most of our work is going to be at a more detailed divisional level. So the idea is to update that North Star, if you will, with goals and outcomes and performance metrics so that we could really get to the real business, which is developing and implementing the detailed divisional action plans. And our plan is to basically then spend January through August, which is the term of this contract, in terms of helping the divisions actually do that and, uh, and accomplish the goals and the outcomes in the strategic plan. Next slide, please. The roles, as I indicated, we're looking for the commission to be actively involved, both in terms of asking questions, providing guidance, expressing concerns and expectations. The executive team will basically uh, guide the process. They'll help address strategic issues in terms of priorities and so forth. But we're actually, if you look at the next slide, Looking at strategic planning teams that are either focusing on existing initiatives or new initiatives, people who are actually hands-on involved in getting the work done. Um, They're the ones who need to be involved in developing the action plans so that they take ownership, they have buy-in in terms of getting them carried out according to the timetables and the responsibilities in those action plans. Next slide, please. And I'll just highlight these briefly because you all are very familiar with the reform initiatives. The first one is basically continuing on what you began um, back in May of 2021 with the departmental reform initiatives, as well as the racial equity action planning that began citywide back in 2020. Next slide, please. Probably the most important area and the one with the most immediate deadlines is focusing on the permitting process initiatives in light of the mayor's uh, executive director, uh, directive, um, and and the expectations about compressing the timetable for permitting uh, approvals or not. Next slide, please. Then we will get into other new initiatives, if we will, that come out of the SWOT assessments, other areas to be addressed addressed, particularly at the divisional level. And if you go to the last slide, if you will, our whole—I'm Id- sorry—one more. Our whole idea is to help, kind of establish and inculcate a culture, if you will, of what we call continuous process improvement, which means this isn't a one and I one off that Patrick and I and others are involved in for the next ten months, but we're trying to basically institutionalize the process within the department, if you will such that it's something that can be carried on for the remaining years of the strategic plan as continuing process improvement. And that basically sees, if you look at the circle, which basically talks about plan, do, check, and act, it means checking out new initiatives, piloting them as appropriate, measuring results, and then where appropriate, implementing them department or wide, or in some cases, perhaps citywide. But that's what we're about, so I'm looking forward, if, if things go according to plan, for Patrick and I to be coming back monthly, at least between now and February, with the deliverables coming out of these four tasks, um, and, and presenting them for both uh, uh, commission feedback, if you will, guidance, and in some cases approval. With that,
15: let me turn it back to Patrick. Commissioners, if you have any questions, I just want to note that um, the way Dave articulated it, that a lot of the work happens at the divisional level. This is really reflective of Patrick's uh, philosophy of servant leadership, where you try to get both empower the people actually doing the work, but also have them deeply involved in whatever improvements are happening. So it's not just top down and people at the top saying, this is what we think should happen and how we think you should do it, but it's the people at the top saying, this is where we think we should be going. How can you help us get there? And what do you guys think about how we do it? So it's really about empowering staff, which is a really critical part of what we've talked about in the past about creating culture change in our department um, and moving on to that next level. And thank you guys for your consideration, your support.
0: Thank you. Um, is there any public comment on item eight? Yes, there is. Okay.
3: Good morning, my name is Jerry Dratler. With regard to the proposed strategic plan, what are the specific short-term and long-term departmental goals that have been approved by the BIC and shared with the public that should be driving this process? Second question, where does the implementation of audit recommendations factor in to the short-term strategic plan. Third question, how much funding has been aside, set aside, excuse me, to fund the strategic planning process? And lastly, is benchmarking DBI against best practices a part of the strategic planning process? Thank you.
0: Is there any additional public comment um in person or remotely is there commissioner questions or discussion
2: um i just want to say i think this is really good timing in the department to bring something like this forward um there's been a lot of transition there's been a lot of Kind of dust settling or kickups and all this stuff. So I, I think that this is the right time to engage in, in, a, in a five-year plan. I think five years is also the right the right cadence, the right term. Um, the uh, the one comment I had during the presentation is when we're looking at stakeholder existing feedback. I don't know how much all the divisions and all of the services actually collect regularly that division feedback, and I don't know how. Um, language accessible that is. So I would just consider when you're thinking about stakeholder feedback, is that actually something that not should just be taken passively, but something more proactively to make sure that we're really getting the gamut of San Franciscans um, who utilize DBI and the various services that we provide, um, that their feedback is uh, from an equity perspective. So Thank you, and I am very excited about what you will do. And I guess what we will do together. This is a no action on this item, am I correct?
0: Correct, no no action. This is an uh, informational item. Okay. And were there any other further commissioner comments? Okay, then uh, seeing that also, I, I did email all of the commissioners um, regarding potentially setting, setting up 30-minute uh, interviews, and they will be uh, re- remotely. Okay. Okay, thank you. Um next we are on to item nine commissioners questions and matters. nine a inquiries to staff at this time, commissioners may make inquiries to staff regarding various documents, policies, practices, and procedures which are of interest to the commission and item B, future meetings and agendas at this time, the commission may discuss and take action to set the date of a special meeting and or determine those items that could be placed on the agenda at the next meeting and other future meetings at the Building Inspection Commission. And our next uh, regular meeting is scheduled for November fifteenth. Are there any commissioner inquiries, I'll, questions? I'll just
11: make one. So, Director Reardon, uh it's related to one of the initial public commenters uh, describing the suicides of his uh, his colleagues and just, uh, is there anything the department does, uh, or any like reach, uh, mechanism for uh, staff to reach out or staff to be reached out to to address maybe mental health issues that, uh, that are unique to being an inspector or, or working at the uh, Department of Building Inspection?
8: Um, well, the answer is yes, and I don't want to speak to the specific uh, incidents because I don't, I don't want to impact families but yes we we our hr team does work with the employee assistance program which is part of the citywide uh... hr and uh... when when we've actually brought in counselors to speak to staff in the past and uh... anytime we see any indication of somebody who may be uh... suffering from 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 some mental uh... condition we we, we do offer Uh, the Employee Assistance Program to them. We can make them go there, but we we strongly recommend.
2: So um, I need some guidance on this, but uh, it's noted that the next DBI meeting is scheduled to be in the middle of the APEC conference, which may or may not, uh, I think there's a couple, maybe some unknowns. Um, as to whether or not we'll be able to have that that commission um, meeting, so in light of that, um, my expectation was to honor um, Commissioner Chavez's request for a special hearing on the fee study at that meeting because we expected to get it in November. But since so we might not have that meeting, I'd like to try to set that date today. Um, and not miss that opportunity, and so, um, Deputy City Attorney Capla, um, do we have to have it? Is, is do we have the ability to set a special meeting outside of just announcing it today? Like, is there like could we could we notice it? you know, is there a noticing period that we can do that's outside of today?
16: Uh, Deputy City Attorney Rob Cavill, there are provisions for noticing once we have an agenda for what the special meeting would be, but you can certainly as a as a body determine that you want to have a special meeting and and, and the date and, and that can be confirmed by the department whether that's available. Um, but I, I think you could take action to say you'd like to have a special meeting at a um, next month or an additional meeting.
2: Okay. Well, then I would like to have call for a special meeting on the fee study looking at the last week of November, perhaps the November 29th. Which is a
0: Wednesday. Do commissioners know if they would be available on that date? November 29th. Okay. And then, just to, to clarify, you were saying to can to cancel the November fifteenth meeting because of a a conference. You said
2: I I'm, I'm going to hold that, okay. but I'm 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 putting this out there because there's a oh. possibility, okay, uh, of that there may be a need to to do that. I cause I think there's a lot around the APEC conference that is unknown, okay. Um, and I want to and that may require high level folks to be present at or to make calls at. I just want to not miss the opportunity to call for this special meeting in the event that we are not able to have the meeting. I'm not I'm not calling for the cancellation at this time, but okay. I'm being transparent as to the re- the, the reasoning. To okay,
0: talk. understood. Thanks. Okay, so anything else that I need to do regarding this?
2: Yeah, go ahead, director.
8: Yeah, I'd like to just recommend that for any of you who haven't downloaded the My Shake app, uh, it, it's good to do that and set up the notifications in it we did actually have a 4.1 earthquake near Rio Vista at 9.29. I assumed it was uh, a Loma Prieta test alert, but it just shows that it, it works. So.
0: Thank you. Okay. Um, so then it's noted that I guess that we will be trying to plan for a special meeting on November 29th, and then I will reach out to commissioners to... Follow up on that. Okay. Um, and if there are, um, I guess if there is any agenda items regarding that or that might be heard also at the special meeting, then commissioners can reach out to me to let me know. Okay. Um, is there any public comment on item 9, uh, 9A and B? Okay. Um, seeing none, um, next we have item 10 which is review and approval of the minutes at the regular meeting of September 20th,
2: 2023. So moved.
0: Second. Okay, so there was a motion by Commissioner, by interim President Alexander Hoot, second by Commissioner Shaddix to approve the minutes. Is there any public comment on the minutes? None remotely? Are all commissioners in favor? Aye. 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 Are Any opposed? Aye. None opposed okay thank you then the minutes are approved and then next we have item 11 adjournment is there a motion to adjourn okay. is there second. a second okay there's aye. there's a motion and a second um, and all commissioners in favor aye okay we are now adjourned aye. it's 1109 a.m thank you